Thank you for listening to our 2021 season of the Miso TV podcast. Miso TV is a video program adapted to audio only for this podcast, produced by the Mesothelioma Applied Research Foundation, a national 501c3 nonprofit organization. The Mesothelioma Applied Research Foundation, or Meso Foundation for short, is an organization that provides patient support and education services, funds peer-reviewed research, and advocates for increased funding of mesothelioma research. This 2021 season of programming is made possible with the support of our generous sponsors. They are MRHFM, Bellican Fox, Bristol Myers Squibb, Novacure, Merck, The Gorey Law Firm, and Early Lucarelli Sweeney and Meisenkothen. Visit CureMiso.org to learn more about the Miso Foundation and about Miso TV. Today, we are joined by Dr. Melissa Johnson, a thoracic oncologist at the Sarah Cannon Cancer Center in Nashville. Dr. Johnson will take us through the details of the TC210 clinical trial utilizing T-cell therapy to treat mesothelioma. Good afternoon, Dr. Johnson. Thank you so much for joining us for our latest episode of uh, MesoTV. Hi, Mary. Thanks for having me. Glad to be here. Thank you. Thanks. So, Dr. Johnson, um, you're not at what we would consider to be, you know, a typical mesothelioma center. So, could you talk a little bit about, you know, your position and where you're located and a little bit about, you know, the philosophy of where you work? Sure. Um, Mary, I'm the director of the Lung Cancer Research Program at the Sarah Cannon Research Institute in Nashville, Tennessee. Uh, Sarah Cannon is a physician-based research network um, that's based in the community. And so our mission at Sarah Cannon is to uh, provide access to cutting-edge therapies to patients in the communities in which they live. So we take it very seriously that we would have offerings so that patients wouldn't have to travel to tertiary referral centers. Now, for something like mesothelioma, uh, where uh, the care for which is obviously multidisciplinary, where a a surgeon uh, with experience in caring for mesothelioma is critical, Um, It's a challenge, right? But not uh, patients with mesothelioma will not always need surgery. They will come to points in their care uh, where they need a systemic therapy um, beyond chemotherapy and maybe immune therapy. And that's when patients should seek out a place like Sarah Cannon. So uh, traditionally, I, you know, from what I remember over the years, uh, you do tend to run mesothelioma clinical trials. You usually have, you know, some specific for mesothelioma as well as having a very robust phase one uh, study group there as well. Yep, that's right. Um, I'm a I'm a thoracic oncologist by training. Um, did my training at Sloan Kettering with the group there, um, and. Uh, consider myself a thoracic oncologist uh, today, In although I see a little bit of lots of cancers. Day-to-day, uh, I see patients in our drug development unit here in Nashville, and we have over 100 trials uh, ongoing and active at any one time. Uh, we enrolled patients to over uh, 500 trials uh, in 2020, uh, despite COVID. And uh, so there are options uh, for all types of cancer, including patients with mesothelioma. The more 
traditional uh, therapy once every three weeks by IV infusion or an oral therapy, uh, those will always be available. But some of the mm -hmm. options that I'm most excited about, uh, in particular for the mesothelioma patient population right now, um, are uh, immune effector cell trials or CAR T cell trials um, that are trying to harness a patient's immune system in a novel way. Wonderful. So I think, you know, the, the um, basis of our talk today actually falls beautifully into that. Um, we're going to be discussing TC210, uh, which I understand is a multi-center trial. It's being done at different centers around the United States. And, you know, I know that you've taken care of uh, quite a few patients in our groups, and um, you and I have met at some of the meetings. And I'm really excited to hear from you uh, about this uh, TC210 uh, what is a CAR T-cell trial? Um, you know, how are they developed? Uh, you know, what is it? Um, well, th thanks for the opportunity, Mary, uh, to talk about this topic. CAR T-cell, CAR stands for chimeric antigen receptor. And the way that you can understand that is that these are uh, white blood cells that have been removed from a patient. Um, and I like to tell my patients they've been educated or instructed to begin to recognize aspects of the mesothelioma cancer that they didn't know existed before. And once these T cells have been educated with uh, the introduction of a CAR receptor, then they're put back into the patient and they set up shop there and they're able to then help the patient's immune system begin to recognize the cancer. Now let's talk about uh, TC210. This is actually a T cell receptor fusion construct or a truck that works by similar uh, uh, principles to a CAR T cell therapy. It's even a play on words a little bit in that the white blood cells, the T cells are removed from the patient, engineered to express the receptor that identifies mesothelin in the cancer cells um, put back into the patient's bloodstream to the end uh, affords the opportunity for the patient's immune system to begin to recognize the mesothelin that is typically expressed on mesothelioma cells. So how do you get these cells out of a patient's body? Uh, Good question. Uh, we It's actually very easy. We use a reverse blood cell transfusion called an apheresis. In order to do, to do it efficiently, if you think about how long a blood cell transfusion um, takes to get into your body or, um, or a, a blood cell donation to get out of your body, the same is true. Uh, the, the same technology is used, only we use a bigger IV, um, an apheresis catheter, uh, resembles a dialysis catheter. We put it in the morning that the cells are to be removed, and then it takes about four hours to remove the blood. From that, the white blood cells can be isolated, and those are the cells that are then frozen down and shipped uh, to the lab uh, to begin the process of, of uh, learning to recognize the mesothelinic uh, receptor. So now that you've taken our white blood cells, are we at risk for increased infections? Are there anything that we have to worry about when you've taken these cells out? Good question. The process 
of the apheresis or the reverse blood cell transfusion is, is pretty safe. Uh, believe it or not, you have many, many, many fold more red blood cells and white blood cells left than the couple pints um, of blood that we take. So right after the uh, procedure, uh, patients are not at any increased risk for infection. They're not at increased risk for anemia, for example. However, in order to put those white blood cells back into the patient, we need to tamp down the rest of a patient's immune system so that the engineered white blood cells um, can, I say, set up shop. But we certainly wouldn't want a patient's immune system to attack these newly engineered white blood cells and sort of get rid of the very cells that we've worked so hard to make. And so in order to do that, patients do have to undergo uh, usually three or four days of chemotherapy prior to receiving their own T cells back. After that process, patients are at um, in what we would call immunosuppressed because the chemotherapy has suppressed the immune system temporarily so that the engineered white blood cells can be replaced. So how long a period of time? So now you've taken the blood, you're re-engineering it, um, you give them a conditioning regimen, which is uh, chemotherapy, but probably at a lower dose than standard uh, chemotherapy. During that period of time when they're most at risk, are they at home? Are they at the hospital? Where are patients during this period of time? Questions. And Mary, I, I just want to point out that between the, the time when the reverse blood cell transfusion happens and the point at which patients get their T cells back and maybe undergo lymphodepletive chemotherapy first, that period can be two or three months. Um, that's the time mm -hmm. it takes to manufacture those T cells. And, and so uh, each clinical trial is different about what therapies are or are not allowed during um, that time period. Uh, in particular, mm -hmm. uh, and so it's important to talk to your doctor about the time, um, that eight, 12 week time period. Um, what would happen if you were off therapy completely or what would happen if you were on pembrolizumab, for example, or chemotherapy as another example. So that, that waiting period is an important time period to understand. Um, but your mm -hmm. question was once patients receive the lymphodepletive chemotherapy, um, what, where are they and, and, at, at, and for how long are they at risk? It's a good question. Actually, uh, the chemotherapy that's given is uh, fludarabine and cyclophosphamide, and the function it really is to suppress the lymphocytes in particular. And the lymphocytes stay down for about two and a half, three weeks, sometimes longer. Sometimes patients will also have anemias or thrombocytopenia low platelets during that three, sometimes four week time period right after the chemotherapy. Directly after the lymphodepletive chemotherapy, patients at my center are admitted to the hospital two days mm -hmm. after they finish the chemotherapy to get their T cells. The, the mm -hmm. T cell infusion is actually a very uh, uh, low, it, it's actually a very easy process. Um, our nurses are very accustomed to doing it, but it is the chance of what we call cytokine release syndrome. 
that is the reason that mm -hmm. patients are admitted and are followed for a couple days with vital signs. We, we're looking for fevers. We're looking for low blood pressure. We're looking for any uh, decreased uh, 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 oxygen level or um, oxygen accounts. Um, and those are signs that the immune system actually has become activated. So just because you mm -hmm. have these things, it's not an adverse event. It's actually expected. But we want you in a controlled place um, in order to, to receive that therapy. If all goes well, then that's when you leave the hospital, actually. And we, we ask mm -hmm. that you stay close uh, within half an hour. Many patients actually stay at, at a hotel uh, uh, near the center um, for the mm -hmm. first month in order to ensure that you could get to the doctor, to me, to the clinic, to the hospital quickly if you would start to have an infection. It is that period of about a month until your white blood mm -hmm. cells go back to normal that patients are at risk for infections. Okay. so. So they come to you for a consultation, um, sign a consent form, um, you collect, you know, you, you collect their blood, then they go back to their home, you know, to their home port, discuss with their medical oncologist whether it's safe to be off of treatment for those three months or whether they would, you know, continue on with some sort of chemotherapy while we're waiting for the advent of this trial. Yes. They come back to you, they get the conditioning regimen. They get the cells reinfused in the hospital a few days and then to be in the area for about a month. Now, do you have a Hope Lodge or do you have relationships with hotels in the area? Um, you know, these are always, you know, you know, the costs, you know, the patients need to factor in. Absolutely. And the, and the answer is yes, we have a Hope Lodge. And yes, there are hotels in the area. I have to say that even during COVID, we have taken care of patients on this and other CAR T cell trials. Um, and so, mm -hmm. in fact, when many uh, centers across the country were closed because of COVID, patients mm -hmm. came to Sarah Cannon to participate in clinical research because uh, we were able to uh, stay open. Um, many mm -hmm. patients during the last year have voiced concern about needing to go into the hospital to get their T cells during, I don't want to go to the hospital, Dr. Johnson, because of COVID. Um, but we have, we have developed a, a very uh, uh, clear uh, process for having patients that are immunosuppressed go through the emergency room and the clinic on a completely different track than any patient that might have a suspected COVID infection. And that has kept us safe. Uh, we have knock wood uh, through two spikes in our area, um, continued to treat patients with these therapies. And I think it's a testament to what can be done with collaboration and communication across outpatient and inpatient uh, uh, teams. Now, um, how about health insurance? Does health, does health insurance cover these types of treatments? Good question. In general, um, at Sarah Cannon, that's a question that is on everybody's mind as they come to see us mm -hmm. uh, for an opinion. And while there are some exceptions uh, when it comes to m Medicare in different states not wanting patients to come to Tennessee for treatment, in general, uh, all of these therapies are uh, 
paid for with a combination of private insurance and uh, the sponsor, uh, the sponsor supportive uh, uh, research grants. Mm -hmm. Now, uh, for patients, this is something that we typically try to establish before a patient would come down to Nashville to be treated. And typically, by the time I meet a patient, our uh, billing office has uh, confirmed that their insurance will will pay. Um, mm -hmm. For the most part, this is what I tell patients. We will uh, bill your insurance for everything that is standard of care. And that is mm -hmm. all the things that your home primary oncologist is billing your insurance for. So the lab visits, the doctor's visits, the CT scans, um, those are paid for by your insurance for your, your primary oncology care. And they're paid for by your insurance on a clinical trial. Anything that is specific to the trial to include the therapy itself is paid by the drug company that's sponsoring the trial. And so obviously the I'm sure that's initial hospitalization, for example, that is required by the trial um, is, is typically a, a research expense. Wonderful. So, um, so, it's, so it mainly it's covered anything that's standard generalized care is covered by insurance and then the extras are picked up by the by the sponsoring uh, a company that for the trial. Um, so in terms of the Hope Lodge, Hope Lodge provides free housing for patients with uh, with cancer in general. Um, and I just wanted to make sure that people you know that people who are listening understand that you cannot book like, directly with Hope Lodge. The direct the bookings go through the social work, nursing, physicians' offices where you're being treated. So that's something that arrangements that will be made you know, at the time of consultation. And if there's no room at the lodge, um, certainly the foundation also has a travel grant program. So, you know, we can help with the cost of getting to a treatment. We can help with the, with the hotel bills. Um, we do have limitations and we do ask that people demonstrate financial need, but we have been able to help a great many of patients, you know, get through these trials. Um, Miriam, something that I we just, didn't, yes. Mm -hmm. I might just yes. add that, um, that uh, mm -hmm. we've talked some about the Hope Lodge and that for many patients that are uh, being treated on these immune effector cell therapies, as well as bone marrow transplants, uh, the Hope Lodge is, is vital because they need to stay close mm -hmm. to the hospital for a month. And, um, but because Sarah Cannon is a, is a destination for people in the Southeast and the Midwest for all sorts of clinical trials. We also have a number of relationships with hotels right around the center that even mm -hmm. uh, offer shuttle service to the hospital You know, every day. They'll come get you when you're done. But also uh, a little bit away from the facility that would also obviously be a little bit more cost effective. If you, if you have a car and can drive and you can stay 30 miles outside of Nashville, then that affords even, uh, I think, probably a more cost effective way. Um, there are, there are mm -hmm. a lot of options. Um, many clinical trial companies will, are also willing to offset the costs of staying locally because they understand that because of the clinical trial that you're not driving home that night, but staying for three days for blood work, for example. Mm -hmm. So um, there are many times where uh, we're able to, to offer assistance as well. Um, and, and I just mm -hmm. encourage uh, upfront communication about your needs um, 
just as mm -hmm. Mary was outlining, um, because we can figure out how to pool resources to help. Right. I mean, and, you know, these are just the factors that sometimes, you know, people don't speak, you know, think about, um, you know, working with your post office to have your mail held for that month. You know, just so many little pieces that, you know, really take, you know, you really have to plan and really take a, a careful, you know, recap of what, you know, what goes on in a month in your own home that you can make sure those needs are addressed. Now, uh, you know, what we didn't discuss um, is this trial for both pleural and peritoneal mesothelioma. That's a good question. It, it is. Uh, both pleural and peritoneal mesothelioma qualify. Um, what what does need to happen, and this has uh, has this has been there has been a learning curve associated with this is for many of our patients is that patients have to uh, provide tissue within the last mm -hmm. year to be tested at TCR squared for mesothelial expression. And while many patients have come to me from all over the country and have said, oh, I know that I, my tumor expresses mesothelin, it did at the time of my biopsy, or it did at the time of my initial resection, for example. Um, with chemotherapy and even with immune therapy, we have found that mesothelin expression can go down or go away. And we don't have a whole lot of insight as to the amount of mesothelin expression that's required because the testing is done at uh, the TCR squared laboratories. But my sense is that the bar is pretty high uh, because we've, mm -hmm. had, we've had patients not qualify for this trial in particular um, because, of, because of that. And so that's an important thing to know coming to visit for the mm -hmm. first time. So, um, so the type of patient then you would be taking epithelial mesothelioma and biphasic that have a certain percentage of epithelial cells? I think there is a limitation to the amount of sarcomatoid mesothelioma um, mm -hmm. that is still mm -hmm. eligible. It certainly mm -hmm. needs to be the minority of the cancer. Mm -hmm. Okay, and then, you know, uh, now with, you know, we've just recently had uh, the Ipinevo, you know, Ipinevo approved. So now you're seeing many more patients who already had chemo, have had immunotherapy. Are they disqualified from your trial if they've had prior immunotherapy? No, not at all. Um, patients have been, uh, I've been seeing patients who have been treated previously with pembrolizumab for years. Um, and so mm -hmm. now the, the paradigm is shifting, right? Because patients will uh, have had immunotherapy and maybe not chemotherapy when they right. come. Yes. Mm -hmm. But of course, chemotherapy is a good bridge uh, to while you're mm -hmm. waiting for your T cells, for example, I believe that's allowed. Um, and so mm -hmm. it, it, it isn't ex exclusionary because, of course, while checkpoint inhibition uh, improves survival for patients with mesothelioma, it's not curing anybody. And so uh, mm -hmm. we need to continue uh, finding other ways to harness the immune system uh, for patients. This trial. Thank is you. So I guess, I guess um, probably one of my last questions would be, how are the patients managed uh, post the infusion? How often are they scanned? You know, what are you looking for in terms of response? Yeah, that's a good question. I think it, it is, uh, we are guilty at Sarah Cannon also of uh, thinking about it as an afterthought, um, because of course, once you treat these patients, you know, the advantage of any CAR T cell therapy 
is that it's a one-time treatment as opposed to once every three weeks. And so you could envision, oh yeah, I can go home and I can go about my life. Um, and that is true after a month for certain, um, but there are uh, uh, repeat scans um, starting at about mm -hmm. six weeks with a CT scan and then a CT and a PET scan uh, at week or at week 12 or around um, uh, three months of therapy. Um, it is interesting to me that uh, we have had patients whose cancer burden on CT scan didn't change very much, although the avidity on their PET scan did. And so it, it has mm -hmm. shown me that, you know, yet again, uh, the radiographic measurements of response that we use, i.e. CT scan, may not mm -hmm. be completely accurate for measuring the immune response uh, to tumor. Um, and so mm -hmm. we follow as a result with both CT and PET, um, intermittent er, uh, CT and then CT and PET. And I mm -hmm. prefer that those scans are done here only mm -hmm. because then we have a really good comparison one to the other. Now in 2020, I mean, you couldn't make it up how many different challenges we had for that. COVID-19 obviously, but also uh, tornadoes and hurricanes that uh, the flooding that prohibited patients from getting scans, um, uh, mm -hmm. COVID that prevented patients from traveling. Uh, so we've we've done mm -hmm. the, the very best we can. I think in the future, uh, things will get easier. Um, but it mm -hmm. is only with that repeat disease assessment that we start to understand whether the cancer is controlled or not. What some mm -hmm. of my patients have described even after their treatment is just this fatigue and fluey feeling that mm -hmm. we wonder if it is related to you know, an ongoing anti-cancer immune response. Um, so mm -hmm. there's more work that needs to be done to understand that and exactly what the side effect profile is from a successful uh, treatment with a car or a truck in this case. Yes, yeah, so in fact, I was just speaking to a patient about this yesterday, not from your trial, but with another immunotherapy combination. And I explained that some of the early work that had been done was done actually in melanoma, looking at interferon, and they showed that, you know, uh, daily exercise, a regimen of on the treadmill every day really helped to overcome the fatigue. So there is a way to sort of work through this a little bit differently than you would try to work through, a, you know, the uh, chemotherapy related to fatigue. You really have to sleep it off. But with immunotherapy, it seems that activity actually helps to, you know, give that better you know, sense of well-being and get people on their feet a little, you know, a little quicker. Well, that's interesting. Um, that certainly has been our experience as well. And, mm -hmm. um, you know, just underscores how much there is to know. All right. And then um, just one more question about PET scans, um, because I know uh, many of the patients, some of their insurances give them a really hard time about a PET scan. Um, so if that's the case, they would come to, uh, to your institute and um, the PET scan would get covered or... Well, that's right. That's a good example of mm -hmm. um, a research required test that will mm -hmm. be built to insurance. If insurance won't pay, then the study is asking for that PET scan to be done and, and they have paid. Um, we've done all sorts of things this year to, uh, to 
reimburse patients for getting PET scans uh, who couldn't get to Sarah Cannon in Nashville to have it performed. Mm -hmm. So, um, you know, I, th I think I have found TCR squared to be very receptive and responsive and just uh, they have been realistic about the challenges that patients face mm -hmm. uh, in, in the post-COVID world that we live in. Yeah, it's been tough. Now, um, just how are you advising your patients in terms of the uh, COVID uh, the vaccine? You know, is there any timing that we worry about uh, getting, you know, your treatment in, in terms of when they should have the vaccine? Well, the, I, I mean, I, I think the short answer is we don't know. Uh, we're 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 mm -hmm. learning as we go. Um, the, the I guess my second short answer is I am encouraging all of my patients to be vaccinated. Um, mm -hmm. And you know, the challenging piece is is the timing with respect to patients' treatment because if patients are mm -hmm. undergoing immunosuppressive chemotherapy or, for example, a lymphodepletive uh, regimen prior to a T-cell infusion, that wouldn't be the time to get a, uh, a vaccine. Um, so mm -hmm. there is some, some challenge and I call it a dance. Mm -hmm. You know, you might not be able mm -hmm. to get everything all at once, but um, hopefully in three months, we'll get it all in. Because mm -hmm. um, of course, patients right. so, with mesothelioma or lung cancer um, are, are at risk are, uh, of, mm -hmm. of contracting COVID-19. Right. So I guess so. I guess probably the best advice we would give at this point is that if you have the opportunity to get the vaccine, get it before you embark on perhaps a treatment that's going to, you know, uh, maybe tamp down the uh, the response you'd expect or hope to get from this vaccine. So, yeah. I, so, I agree. Dr. I Johnson, thank advice. you. Mm -hmm. So thank you so much. I think this was a really good um, discussion about you know uh, about this program, and I just wondered. Um, are there any, is there anything else that you'd like to tell us about, you know, any other work that you're doing in mesothelioma? Uh, any other trials that uh, you think patients may be interested in? And, you know, we could schedule another call to go into them in, you know, more depth, but uh, anything that should be on our radar. I have to say, I'm, I'm so glad to hear that, that um, immune effector cell therapy is on your radar, uh, Mary, and the, on the radar for uh, the Mesothelioma Foundation. I think there is something special about this sort of treatment for patients with mesothelioma vis-a-vis mm -hmm. -vis lung cancer, where I would say the traction hasn't been as good. Uh, we are involved mm -hmm. in treatment of uh, lung cancer patients in some of these trials as well, and uh, it's, it is more difficult for a variety of reasons. Perhaps it is because of the antigen of interest. In this case, mesothelin WT1 is another highly expressed on mesothelioma, but not on most uh, normal cells, where there are a mm -hmm. lot of uh, antigens that are being uh, investigated to, uh, to engineer T cells to recognize on lung cancers um, that are also expressed on regular tissue. That increases the risk of on-target, off-tumor uh, side effects. Um, mm -hmm. I think we have other uh, CAR T cell options coming, as well as vaccine mm -hmm. options that are coming for patients with mesothelioma. And I I'd be happy to talk about those with you next time. Wonderful. So thank you so much, and thank you for giving us this time today. Um, I'm very much looking forward to uh, to seeing, you know, some of the results from this from this trial and. 
certainly encouraging patients. Uh, you know, I, I think we always need to think of uh, clinical trials as an opportunity. Uh, you know, they didn't emerge out of thin air. There's a lot of good science, solid work behind them. And in a rare disease, um, I think, you know, travel opportunities, you have to grab them when they exist. Sarah Cannon, we like to say that uh, clinical trials should be your first option, not your last. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Well, thank you and um, stay safe and uh, we'll be in touch with you. Um, thanks again. This was wonderful to have an opportunity to reconnect with you. Thanks thank for you. the opportunity, Mary. You're welcome. Bye-bye.